Have you ever experienced a book, a life-changing book, which when you read it, simply changes the way you experience the world? The Power of All by Jake Eagle and Michael Amster has given me a microdosing mindfulness technique I can do in seconds, which creates a powerful physiological and psychological change that not only induces a powerful sense of bliss, but reduces anxiety, stress, and also changes the way your brain filters reality. It really is amazing what can be achieved in just a few seconds. This is an interview you really don't want to miss. Plus, just going to let you know, it's definitely up there as one of my favorites. You are listening to the Mindset Change Podcast, and I'm your mindset coach, Paul Shepard, helping you upgrade your mindset for a happier, healthier, and wealthier you. If you've not yet subscribed, then please do, as it helps the show grow, and more importantly, so you won't miss another episode. And welcome, Jake Eagle. How are you doing? Good. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, me too, because... It's one of these weird things, just like we were talking before you came on, uh, before we just pressed record. Um, I keep hearing the word Hawaii, so I'm thinking I must go. But I also kept hearing over the past year, the power of all. So when uh, I heard about your book and was contacted to see if you wanted to come on a show, I, I thought, well, this is this is you know it's meant to be. Um, and it's interesting because you make quite a bold claim in the first sentence of your book, uh, talking about this being a shortcut to transcendence. Can you elaborate on what it all is and about that claim? That'd be great. Yeah, I can. Um, I don't remember what I wrote, but I think I also said that uh, I was embarrassed to make the claim. <laughs> yeah, in other right, words, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'm not really a believer in shortcuts. I've been a I've been a psychotherapist for 30 mm. years and and generally I don't think there are shortcuts. But when we did the research on this book and we conducted studies at UC Berkeley and we were doing this during the height of the pandemic, we just saw a remarkable shift in people very very quickly. The the study lasted 21 days and we had the people in the study practice Oh, and you and I can talk about the practice in a few minutes, but we had them mm -hmm. practice three times a day and each practice takes somewhere from 10 to 20 seconds. So it's essentially no time at all. But at the end of 21 days, people were reporting significant decrease in depression, anxiety, loneliness, even burnout, which is very hard to change in 21 days. And they were reporting increases in well-being, uh, reduction in symptoms of pain. So it really did seem like we stumbled upon, and, and we did, we stumbled upon this. My mm. co-author, his name is Michael Amster. He's a pain doctor. And as I said, I'm a psychotherapist. And we kind of stumbled upon this, but it turns out, in my opinion, that this is a shortcut, a very quick way to enter a state of consciousness that transcends our normal experience of being in the world. And it has a lot of very positive benefits. I agree with you. Um, reading through the science of your, you know, the science in your book is something that I totally um, am behind you with because it's something that, as a, a, you know, my um, speciality has been anxiety. 
And I've talked about inflammation and cytokines before. And it is beautiful to see in your book in regards to the way that you'd um, talked about it in regards to the benefits of the the power of all. So can you explain for the audience what uh, the power of all actually is? Um, and yes. then we can dive into the benefits. That'd be great. Yeah. So um, awe is one of, there are many uh, positive emotions and awe is one of them. And it is unique in that it is an emotion that we can experience while experiencing other emotions. For example, I could be sad and experience awe. I could be anxious and experience awe. I could be depressed and I could experience awe. That's very unique. That's not typical of most positive emotions. And the emotion of awe, the way I describe it is that it helps us shift our level of consciousness or our state of being. And what we've done is we've created a model that suggests that there are three basic levels of consciousness. The first one is safety consciousness. That's where most of us live most of the time. We're getting things done. We're taking care of business. We're taking care of our loved ones, doing our self-care routines, all of those things. And, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's part of life. We want to be good at it. Then we can shift into something we refer to as heart consciousness, which is basically a state of gratitude. And you and I, before we started the interview, we're talking about in Hawaii, there's a practice that helps us shift into heart consciousness. It's been part of the tradition here for forever. It's a beautiful practice that shifts a person's state of mind. And there are other things like heart math in, is another way that people shift into heart consciousness. And Sometimes people confuse awe. They think that it's an experience of gratitude. And there is a quality of gratitude, but awe actually arises at the third level of consciousness, which we refer to as spacious consciousness. And when we enter spacious consciousness, we lose track of time. We have an experience of expansion that is hard to describe. And the reason it's hard to describe is because there are no words. When we go into a state mm. of spacious consciousness, which we can do by using our method, our awe method, we, we don't have a way to describe it. it. It is a remarkable state that shifts our mind and it shifts our physiology. It resets our nervous system. And it's quite unique. It is, I believe, a little more profound than having an experience of gratitude because when I have an experience of gratitude, I'll continue to be thinking. I'll be thinking about the things I'm appreciative of. There's nothing wrong with that. It's great. But when mm -hmm. I go into spaciousness, I stop thinking and I have this delightful respite from my own mind. It quiets down. And we can talk about how that happens. But um, it's a very powerful experience. I can do it for 10, 15, 20 seconds and my nervous system essentially resets itself. And if I do that multiple times a day, my nervous system never gets to that point of feeling overwhelmed and stressed out. And, and you and I will talk about it, but we've developed a basic method, a very simple method to mm. take us into this state of spacious consciousness. I, you know, I really, um, I'm really resonating with what you're saying because uh, I was wondering what the difference between you know, your practice was and gratitude. And you've answered that beautifully because it, 
you're right. There is an, a level of thinking that's still still going on with what you're grateful for. But the feeling and the, the, the I don't know, it's like the elevation, the change in vibration, something seems to happen with your consciousness that takes you into that blissful moment. And I was, I was going to ask you later on, how do we know, how do you know that you're in a state of war? But you've kind of answered that. Um, and but just for anyone listening, what other signs can they, you know, what sort of things can they look out for that lets them know that, they're in a, well, that they've entered into a state of war? Well, then we'll go into your practice. So um, awe arises on a spectrum. So on a very mild, mild level, it's simply a feeling of a, a pleasant sense of relaxation, a, a kind of sweetness. And then as awe becomes stronger, we start to experience things such as a tingling or a releasing of energy in our spine. For me, it starts at the base of my spine and the energy runs up and comes up into my head. I often will get a release in my neck. Um, some people refer to it as a Kundalini experience. And mm. at the extreme end, we refer to it as an orgasmic experience where there's this tingling sensation throughout our body. And you, you literally, you have no choice but to sort of shake it off or to release the energy. It's quite powerful. That is not something that everyone experiences. It doesn't happen every time, but it is one possibility when we enter a state of awe. Also, um, our breath changes. When we experience awe, there's usually a moment of involuntary inhalation. It's sort of a gasp, like, oh, you know, if we see something extraordinary, we just have that moment where we go, oh my gosh. And part of our practice is to use that as a signal and then to pause before we have what we encourage people to have is a longer than normal exhalation. And I think it's important to mention that our focus was on experiencing awe in the ordinary. In other words, you don't need to be in front of some magnificent aspect of nature, or you don't need to be listening to the most majestic symphony ever. This can happen while you're cooking breakfast. This can happen while you are walking your dog. This can happen while you're sitting with your partner enjoying a meal. So it's extremely accessible. And that's part of the beauty of it. There, there are two things. That's part of the beauty. It's accessible all the time. And the other one is how little time it takes to have this experience. And that's important because we're in such a... Mm -hmm. We've created such a busy world and people say, I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. But when I say to them, do you have 10 seconds? I've never had anybody say no. Right. Well, that's, that's why I loved it. I love the term and I'm, I'm going to use this uh, microdosing mindfulness because microdosing is obviously a hot topic right now. And, and I think that's a really lovely term to help someone who feels, because I think you mentioned it in the book that, uh, people want to meditate, but they just don't feel they have the time. They're trying to shoehorn it into their day, and it's not—it's not seen as something as valuable for some reason for for a lot of people. Um, but a practice like this is so short and yet so powerful. That's what—and I love the term microdosing. I think that really would grab someone's attention in regards to it. Literally, is a microdosing moment. Um, how did you come up with that the term? Was... Where did that come from? 
Um, I was teaching a training online and half of the students, I was asking them to meditate 10 minutes a day and half of them said they couldn't do that. They didn't have time. So I said, well, just do a micro meditation, 30 seconds. And my co-author, Michael Amster was in that training. He was taking it. And he said, why don't we refer to this as microdosing mindfulness, which was just a great idea. And when we mm -hmm. first uh, went to publishers, they, we were thinking that would be the title of the book, but they got nervous. Mm -hmm. They got nervous around the whole psychedelic okay. scene and they thought some people would be turned off by that. But it is a beautiful description of what this is. You are having a microdose, 10, 5, 10, 15 seconds, mm -hmm. in which you are experiencing profound mindfulness. Just a quick break to say I am so excited to announce a brand new podcast channel to help you transform your life in ways you might not yet be able to imagine. 2023, we are kicking your ass. Now, this is a channel of experimental content I know you are going to love. Now, Mindset Change Another Level has exclusive deeper subconscious training meditations to help you upgrade your long overdue programs that are holding you back in life. You also get searchable meditations without ads, intros and outros, so you can find your favorites super easily. You get access to masterminds to help take your mindset change to another level, and you get to engage with me in a whole new way. And as a thank you for supporting the new channel, you get discounts from my group workshops too. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and come and join. Oh, and feel free to come and join my WhatsApp community too. I can't wait to welcome you. Well, when I was reading this book, because what I like at the end of this book, not to give it too much away, but there's like 30 exercises um, which you can go into. So I've been sat, I was sat at this desk and I was going into, uh, into awe just here at my desk. And it was so simple to actually do. And it did feel really wonderful. Um, so can you describe the all process? Because uh, actually, even though we're talking about the power of all, you've actually got it as an acronym, which was uh, obviously for, for the actual process, which is easy to remember. So could you go through that? Yeah, we, we took the word awe and we converted it into the awe method and the A stands for attention. And so the first step in this process is to find something that you value, appreciate, or find to be amazing. Now that could be an object around you. It could be something in your environment, but interestingly, it also could be something in your mind. You may have a memory of something that just deeply moves you or touches you. Um, that could also be a source of awe. So you would then place your full undivided attention on whatever this is that you find uh, you deeply appreciate or value. And then the W stands for wait. And the idea here is to just wait ever so briefly, because when you wait, while your attention is focused, it quiets down what's known as the default mode network. That those are regions of the brain where all of our self-talk is happening. There's nothing wrong with the default mode network. It's great, but it's nice to have a break from it. And so mm. we focus our attention with the A. We use the W to wait, quiets the mind. And then we use the E to have a exhalation that's a little longer than normal. And when we do that, 
it activates the vagus nerve. And when the vagus nerve is activated, we go into a more parasympathetic or relaxed state. And whatever sensations we have in our body will be amplified. So your listeners can imagine that if they have put their focus on something they appreciate and value, the sensations in their body are going to be positive. They then wait, quiets the mind, then they exhale, and that amplifies these positive sensations in the body. Mm. And, and that is the process. It, and the whole thing can be done in a breath cycle, which is typically about 10 seconds. Or you could have a couple of breaths. You could have a slightly elongated awe moment. Um, and then in our book, my wife actually wrote, uh, as you mentioned, there are 30 different exercises. And some of those are what are called extended moments of awe, where it just goes from one moment to another to another. And those are really delicious. But it is as simple as they this. Are, I, I, yeah, they, they are. Yeah, they are. It's a very simple process. And I really love... The examples, and even throughout the book, it's take a moment, um, and, and you're going into a state of awe during the book. So it is easy to develop quite a strong emotional attachment to this book because of what you're experiencing as you're going through it. I don't know if that was a, a clever ploy to keep us reading. Maybe I don't know, uh, but it is. It's a wonderful. Um, it's, it's a wonderful experience just reading. You don't often get that in books. Um, so, uh, so the all process, is there ever been, you know, you've been teaching it for a while. Has there ever been any resistance to the process? Do, is there anyone who's, you know, struggled with this or not wanted to, to do this or finds it difficult? Yeah. So there's two answers to that. The first is that because it's so short, we haven't encountered resistance. In other words, I've not experienced mm. anyone saying, I don't have the time. Everybody has yeah. 10 seconds. So we overcome that barrier, which is one of the biggest barriers. The second answer to this is that there are people who struggle and the reason is almost always the same. And to me, it's really fascinating, but the reason is that they're trying too hard. They're working mm -hmm. at it. Yeah. They're thinking it through. And all of those things are antithetical to awe. We make a distinction in our work between using presence and using force. And we live in a culture which is relying on us to use force to make so many things happen. We force ourselves to do things. We force other people sometimes. We force our children. Um, and, and we're exhausting ourselves, in my opinion. I'll talk about myself. When I was using force, I exhausted myself. I was a high performer, and I pushed myself hard, and I was exhausted by the time I was 45. Since then, and that's mm. been 20 years ago, um, I have learned more and more how to rely on presence, and awe induces presence. And so this is a very I significant thing. Yeah. And, and in our relating with other people, if we use awe, if I access a state of awe before I have a conversation with mm. you that maybe I think is going to be challenging, if I access awe, it changes the tone of the conversation. I don't have to force. I don't have to control. Mm. I can rely on my presence, and hopefully that will elicit a state of presence in you. 
I, I, I know I agree. It's it, well, you're, you're, you know, you've worked as a psychotherapist. I trained in psychotherapy and obviously the relationship that you build up with your clients is, you know, you know, the top, the top point of, of, of helping, uh, helping someone. And I think, uh, you know, we're often taught in, in all the courses that I've ever learned for every type of therapy I trained in, it was, you know, your state of mind will have a huge impact on the person that you're working with. And I think it would make a, I think just imagine what our world would be like if people were entering states of awe on a, you know, throughout the day before they had an interaction with someone. I think it'd be a very, very different place. I think it would be remarkably different. I, I was doing a podcast recently and the person who's interviewing me got very excited and said, we should be teaching this in our schools. We should be teaching this to managers. We mm. should be teaching this to nurses and doctors. It should just be a normal, accessible way to help ourselves and other people. And I, you know, I just thought it was a great way to think about it. He had, he took it further in his mind than I had taken it. Well, so is that something that you would get involved in? Because it's a good point. You know, we've talked about mindfulness uh, in schools. And one of the things um, that I keep hearing from parents of children is that children often still struggle with mindfulness, meditation, because it's so long. And for them, it's just quite boring. Um, whereas microdosing uh, mindfulness is literally the antidote to that, isn't it? Because we're, we're literally talking seconds here. Yeah, not only that, but it's just incredibly easy for kids to do this. I mean, they don't have any yeah. problem accessing something that's amazing, right, that they're excited about. Um, so it, I think it's a very natural thing, and, and kids would learn this quickly and easily. And yeah, I'd be interested in, uh, in promoting that or supporting people who wanted to do that work. Hmm. Now, I, I, you know... I think we should promote it much more. I think I loved, I mean, I'm a big, I'm a big promoter of proponent of mindfulness anyway, but just accessing this just for a few seconds, just to elicit, elicit a, a state of change is, is incredibly powerful. And, and it has a ripple effect on everything around us. And you know, I'm a believer that we are, you know, the creators of our reality. So, and you know, reality reflects who we are. And, you know, if we can get access to that state of all, then I think we would experience a very different reality ourselves, which is something that I think people would be very more interested in, more maybe more inclined to access this tool for, just for that reason. Yeah, when you work with uh, clients the next time, I'll, I'll just share with you something that I do that I find to be mm. profound, which is a client will come to me and they'll tell me a challenge or an issue they have, something they're very anxious about, and they are clearly in safety consciousness and I'll listen to them, I don't tend to validate when people are describing something that's difficult for them or where they feel like a victim. I listen, I, I refer to it as witnessing, mm. but I don't want to validate it because what they're describing is simply their experience. It's not necessarily reality. But what I then do is I help them enter, to, enter into a state of awe for 10, 15, 20 seconds. And then I asked them, I kind of act as if I don't fully remember what they were talking about. And I asked them to talk about it again. And it's different. It's very different. Really? The, level of, the level of victimization, the level of anxiety has dissipated enough 
that their perspective is different the second time. I am. I am. I've got a whole range of clients next week. I'll be practicing this to see what the experience is. Um, and I, you know, <laughs> pardon me. Um, the science behind this. Let's just dive into that. Why do you think your clients uh, respond so well using, you know, the power of all within your sessions? What is it that's happening to them? Well, there's several different things that happen. Um, there's a, there's elevated vagal tone, which shifts our heart rate variability, and it puts us into a um, more relaxed state. There is, as part of that, it's reduced sympathetic arousal. In other words, the fight, flight, freeze is quieting down. There's increased oxytocin, which makes it easier to connect with other people. And there's, and this mm. is fascinating, there's reduced inflammation. Now, um, there was a study done that talked about all the positive emotions, and it stated that awe was the one positive emotion that robustly predicted lower inflammation. It was the one emotion that wow. robustly predicted lower inflammation. This is a big deal. If people aren't familiar with mm. it, all disease, physical, mental, all disease involves inflammation. And if we can find a way to reduce that, we've taken ourselves a long way in the direction of increasing health, mental and physical health. So that, that's incredible. And why, what do you think is going on with uh, the human race at the moment that's maybe increasing inflammation? We're witnessing anxiety epidemics, um, yeah. mental health issues, depression, burnout is on, is, is on the increase. What do you think is happening to us that maybe all could help with? I think there's, uh, I, I, there's two answers to that from my point of view. Um, mm. One is a study that, uh, that's been done and a book is coming out by Jonathan Haidt, um, who actually did the original research on awe in 2003 with his partner, Dacker Keltner. His new book is looking at young people and their increased levels of anxiety and depression. And they have increased in all developed countries since 2010. That's when the increase started. 2010, 2012 is where we started to see the sharp rise. And what happened in 2010? The smartphone came out. So I think uh, that the okay. smartphone, and, and this isn't my theory, this is Jonathan Haidt's mm. and other um, social psychologists, but the theory is that the smartphone has really altered people's self-perception and their ability to connect with other people, that the ability to connect has gone down and self-perception is being overly influenced by what other people think. You know, when you get likes and comments on social media, mm -hmm. um, all of that is having, I think, a potentially negative impact. So I think that's one thing, particularly addressing the younger population. Then the other thing on a much bigger level is something called The Fourth Turning. And I, I won't go into a lot of detail. This is a whole other area. But there's a book that was written called The Fourth Turning. And it basically suggests that every civilization goes through these different stages. There are four of them in total. Each one lasts about 20 to 25 years. So a generation. Mm -hmm. 
and then the next turning. Mm -hmm. Well, the fourth turning is the one where all the systems that have been put in place are no longer serving. They're no longer doing what they were intended to do. Society has outgrown them. And society goes through a period of chaos and increased anxiety before the new systems are created, before typically what happens is younger people come along and have a significant influence that changes the trajectory of our culture and the ways that we work and collaborate and interact both um, personally and also, um, you know, country to country uh, globally. So I think we, we are in the fourth turning. It's supposed to last for another five years. And my sense is that we are experiencing the turmoil of systems that no longer serve us. Wow. And what, where do you think that's going? What do you think is emerging? Is it AI? Is it, because that seems to be uh, changing the way that we work very, very quickly um, is there, is there, or is there something else that's on your mind that you think that the fourth turning is sort of leaning towards? Well, my hope, I'll tell you my hope, my hope is that there'll be a, uh, a pendulum swing in reaction to technology and that what we'll see mm. are people craving more meaningful connection, craving face-to-face -face time, body-to-body -body in the same room. And I think we'll see people going back looking for that again. I, that's, of course, my own bias because I, I love mm. to have that kind of meaningful connection and interaction with people. Um, but, but I don't really know. I, I will tell you what's shocking to me is the influence that one person can have on the world. I'm just struck by the impact that Donald Trump's presidency had on mm so many aspects of life, or now looking at the war in Russia, the influence that Vladimir Putin is having is just phenomenal. And I don't mean phenomenal in a good mm -hmm. way. Um, and then we think about people like Navalny, who's in prison in Russia, and if he were to get out, and if he were to be able to take a leadership role, think about the change that would have. Think about the numbers of people who would be positively affected by something like that. It is, I think you bring out some great points. And I think maybe the fourth turning is pointing out, have we let just these few men have so much power and influence over our planet? And there, maybe the fourth turning is doing something about that because um, it, it impacts us all. It, and, you know, and you can, you know, the level of anxiety, I think, I think increases. Um, you can see it increasing around Donald Trump and going for the next presidency. You can see people becoming quite concerned about that. And it's such a shame because we have such an, an amazing planet with incredible people. And yet so much airtime is given to uh, these individuals because of the level of power that they hold. Yeah, and I do, I do think that, um, I guess anxiety is one of the areas that you focus on, right? Mm. Yeah. 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 I, I make a distinction between actionable anxiety. You know, I'm anxious because I didn't get into college. Well, there's something I can do. I can reapply. Um, but what we're seeing now is an increase in existential anxiety. And that's anxiety that has to do with things such as 
not understanding the meaning of life or living in a world full of uncertainty or recognizing the fact that we're all mortal and that we're going to die and the people we love are going to die. Mm. These are things that it's not obvious. It's like, well, what do I do about that? How do I deal with that? And what I think you may find really interesting is that awe reduces existential anxiety, which is really profound because there are not a lot of remedies for existential anxiety. The primary ones that we know of are religion, hmm. medication, and denial, right? And, and they all work yeah. to varying degrees. I say that with no judgment. It's not like denial is necessarily a bad thing. But what we found is that when people experience awe, because they go to a place that's timeless and because their sense of personal identity diminishes, when you experience awe, your sense of self diminishes, but your sense of connection increases. I don't know if you, if you can feel it as I'm saying it, but for your audience, imagine you're in a timeless place your sense and concerns about self disappear and you feel connected, deeply connected to the world, to people, to the universe, whatever it is. Mm. That's when existential anxiety dissipates. And I, I just find that to be fascinating because I've, I've been interested in existential issues for the last 15 years and found them to be very challenging, right? Because well, it's it's hard to it's hard to rationalize, isn't it? Because there's no answers to someone's existential crisis um, or anxiety, um, and I, I and I agree with you. I, it's, it's one of the tools that I use the most is just to bring a person to the present moment, just yeah. to experience just the freedom that comes from just having a mindful moment. But I'll be definitely using. Some all to go with that. I use gratitude, uh, yes. which I think is a beautiful thing to do. And uh, so there are ways of because I'm also a, a hypnotist and hypnotherapist. I, I go, I work within people's minds. I do suggestions, and um, I, there's all sorts of things you can tap into when you have a person, you know, have a strong emotion. You can tie anchors to that, so it makes it easier to remember and do things within the future. Um, and I'm wondering if I can use the the all process in a hypnotic way. To, and I wonder what that would do. It's a fascinating question. Um, I have a background in neurolinguistic programming and some work mm. in hypnosis, so I understand what you're getting at. And um, I, I suspect that using the awe method in a trance environment would just um, would just create a more pervasive experience. It would be a kind of limitless experience. So I'm, I'm intrigued by what you're suggesting. I'm going to play with it. Yeah, I do. And I'm wondering about creating an anchor, you know, like a thumb and finger together, you know, just so that um, something that I can easily boost um, the power of all. I might actually record, I, I might even record a hypnosis session on this and see if I can elicit it and just put it out as a podcast episode and see what people do with it. <laughs> see what comes I back. I think that'd be there. great. Um, and on our, on our website, which is thepowerofawe.com, mm -hmm. somewhere there's, uh, it's called the Awe Canvas Meditation. You might listen to that because 
in, ah. I didn't have the intention of doing what you're suggesting when I created it, but it is very much along these mm. lines of inducing a trance state in which someone has repetitive experiences of awe. And I like, mm. I like the idea of tying it to a physical anchor. And I'll suggest one that I think is very relevant, which is to imagine a string tied to your sternum that's lifting you ever so slightly toward the sky. Okay. Because when we do that, it creates a breath pattern that is similar to what naturally happens with awe. I don't know if you can feel it, but as your sternum rises and your lower back arches, that's what happens often when you have a profound Ah. moment of awe. I love that. So I'm making notes as we speak. <laughs> um, because it's, it'd be interesting to see what how I can experiment with this. I, you know, I'm seeing about 15 people next week as a, as a client base just to uh, see what, you know, and I, I'm going to introduce this to see what happens. Um, nice. And uh, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Um, what um, what are your favorite practices? What do you like to, um, as I go to the beach and uh, I see a lot of beautiful things out there and that's a wonderful place for me to get some awe. Um, but have you got a favorite practice uh, where you like to do it? Or I know that you can do it anywhere, but is there anywhere you think that it just takes it to that next level? I, I do. Uh, I have three. Um, every morning, first thing I go outside stand barefoot on the grass and I'm in Hawaii, it's warm, it's comfortable, but I would do it no matter where I lived. And I, uh, I focus on the beauty that surrounds me and it's everywhere. Um, and I just, I just take more than 10 seconds. I probably take about a minute and a half or two minutes to really mm. soak in the awe. So that's how I start my day. And then I end my day by going out on the porch and looking at the stars. And if I can't see the stars, I look at the clouds and I do the same thing. I have a moment of awe before I go to bed. And then my third favorite is I do this when I look at my wife's eyes. Um, For one thing, she has magnificent eyes, just gorgeous blue eyes. But I take an extra, it's probably not five seconds, maybe five seconds. I take an extra five seconds to get <laughs> lost in her eyes. And, and that's what it feels like. I feel like I get lost and it just deepens our connection every time I do it. I do it a lot. Yeah. Oh, and is your wife doing it in return? Do you think is your wife just sort of looking into your eyes and, and experiencing something similar? Does she ever mention that at all? Um, this is a secret, although now it's out. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and the reason I say that is because uh, I have a natural uh, uh, resistance to things that feel contrived. Do, do you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't, it goes back to what I said earlier. I don't want us to feel like we're working hard to connect. I want it to feel natural. So I do this and it just seems to elicit something in me for sure, which I suspect she picks up on, right? Yeah, no, I think that's beautiful. And I think just anyone listening to this, um, I do a similar practice with my partner. We do, um, a, a, you know, like a gratitude practice. What are we grateful for having had in our day? And, you know, what are we grateful for about each other? And, um, I get to look in their eyes and it's a very, I'm not doing the power of all, I've not done an all experiment with them, 
but we you know there's a, a level of connection which is very deep and it's a lovely way to go to bed um, and I think it, it also helps deepen sleep have you looked at the power of all in regards to how it could help people sleep and you know because obviously the, the the effect on the parasympathetic nervous system that sounds quite profound um, we haven't looked at it. Uh, we haven't measured it. I can only tell mm. you experientially that I know that when I do this, I go to sleep more quickly. And I would say generally, yeah. I think I sleep better, but it, that's just that's just anecdotal. Um, I, I also mm. want to mention something because um, you brought up the parasympathetic. And what's really unique about awe is it's not entirely parasympathetic. And for people who aren't familiar with these terms, Parasympathetic simply means we're in a very relaxed state where the body is resting and repairing. And mindfulness takes us into that state, which is very beneficial. But awe is unique. It is primarily parasympathetic, so I'm deeply relaxed, but it has a slight bit of sympathetic tone. What that means is there's a little bit more energy coursing through the system. And it's more akin to when we're being playful. When someone's being playful, mm. that's very similar to the physiology of awe. So I think that there uh, are that things that we can do that are going to take us more deeply into parasympathetic. Mm. And awe is this very, it's a very unique location in terms of where we are physiologically. Yeah, that's... That's even given me some more ideas how I could use that in a hypnotic way, because I think it'd be a great way to, to bring someone out of their trance using or as, a, as one of the last yes. steps um, to to end, you know, to end the, the actual session with something that will be lasting inside their mind and have such a positive benefit, I think. I also think it makes for a smoother transmission uh, uh, transition from the... Uh, trance state to the waking state because you're bringing a little bit of arousal in. So I think it would be a very nice way to come out of a trance experience. Yeah. I'm going to have a real play around and let you know how it gets on. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to that. Um, I could talk all evening, but we're coming to an end of the, of our uh, conversation. Uh, before I go, uh, what's what's next for you? Because obviously, I know that you're you're busy promoting the power of all. Is there anything else that's really exciting you at the moment that you what you, you want to get your teeth into? Yeah, there are uh, three things. Um, my co-author and I, Michael and I, are doing a study at UC Davis that started last week seeing if the awe method will help people who are suffering from long COVID. And this is oh, wow. very exciting because long COVID is a really challenging illness, really challenging. And the people who experience it often go into states of despair and the Western medical model doesn't have a lot to offer them yet. So we're hoping that by shifting their physiology and shifting their psychology, it may help mm. them start to improve. So that's one thing we're doing. And that'll take place over the next two months. Second thing I'm doing is I'm writing a course, which is about a series. I, I refer to them as transmissions because I wrote this in a trance state over many decades, sharing what I think are sort of the keys to living life well. And I've turned it into a course where you get one booklet in the mail every month, and then you get 
audio recordings twice a week to support what you read, and then you get the next one. So it has this, uh, it has this depth to it that a lot of things in today's culture don't have. And I'm excited about that. And then the third thing is I'm starting a new novel, which I am most excited about. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, yeah. As in fiction or is it, yeah. It's, it, um, I call it speculative fiction. It is, it is fiction, but it's based on uh, the world of psychology and therapy and personal growth. And I've imbued a lot of ideas and I'm really challenging many of the, what I believe are erroneous assumptions in the world of self-help and psychology. I think we've taken some wrong turns. We've become too introspective. We're looking inward too much of the time, in my opinion. And I really am encouraging mm -hmm. people to look up, look out, see the world. Um, so I'm very excited about oh, that. Wow. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like it's um, very much needed. So uh, good luck with that, Jake. Thank you very much. And if people wanted to find uh, more about you, I'll put your details in the show notes, but where can they find you? Uh, the primary place is thepowerofawe.com. That's the website related to this book. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I have another website, which is called liveconscious.com. And that's where I have uh, other things that I've been doing. And we'll, these, these other topics that we discussed, those will be on that website, liveconscious.com. But um, I also give my email in case anybody has questions. It's jakeeagle at gmail.com. Anybody writes to me, I'll, I'll get back to them within a few days. Oh, excellent. I'll put all that in the show notes. Uh, Jake, Great. this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for bringing this into the world, the power of all. I think it will have quite the impact. And I'm very proud that you're here with me helping to talk about it, helping to promote it, because I really do think it will make a big difference. Thank you so much. This felt to me like an experience of presence. No, no force was required. So thank you. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this wonderful episode with Jake Eagle. I hope you've got a lot from it and I hope you'll be practicing the power of all wherever you go today. Please share, please subscribe, please leave me a review and I hope you have the most incredible day. Mm -hmm.